All right. Welcome. What's going on, guys? You doing good? Turn to the person beside you and say, I'm glad you're here. Turn to the other person that you're not as glad that they're here and let them know. I'm kind of glad you're here too, I guess. I'm glad you're here, guys. I'm, I sure am excited about this weekend. I believe God's going to do some awesome stuff. And my encouragement to you is um, you're here, right? So you're here. I don't know what got you here. I don't know the motivation that brought you here. I don't know if your dad drug you here. I don't, know, I don't know if you just last minute decided, you know what, I'll go. I don't know if your wife made you go. I don't know what got you here, but you're here. And I know this. I know that God's here. You believe that? And I believe he wants to speak to you tonight. And I believe that you can leave this, this weekend a different man, a changed man. And so uh, I want you to set your expectation. And here's, here's a way that you do that. You can come and you can be here this weekend and you can leave and nothing changes. Uh, but if you will, if you'll go all in, like you're here, why not just, why not just go for it? Like, why not just really go for it? Why not get up and expect to hear from God tomorrow morning early when the sun's rising? Like walk around this place and expect that God's going to speak to you and, so, and show you something, speak something to you. Why not just go for it? Why not just go for it in worship? Like instead of what, what's your normal, if you're, if you're like normally like you're, uh, you're a three, you know, you're like here. Worship. Like, go to a four. Go to a five. Go to a ten. Like, just go. Just go for it, guys. I'm telling you, just go for it. And, and I'm telling you, if you will go for it, you will leave different. I really believe that with all my heart. Do you believe that? If you believe that, say amen. 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 It's going to be good. going to be so good. Glad you're here. A lot of fun. I encourage you to stretch. Like, physically, stretch. Like, don't pull something. We've had, we've had injuries at this thing, and uh, we're not going to pay your medical bills, so you better stretch. All right? We've got a couple doctors here. We can help you out a little bit, but, but you need to stretch. Amen, Blake? Amen. All right. <laughs> Sorry, dude. It happened. If you were here last year, his calf, ble- I mean, his calves are already like goals. He's got some goals calves already, but it blew up like a balloon. It was nuts. All right, if you got your Bible, go to 1 Timothy with me. First Timothy, no, no, Second Timothy, sorry, Second Timothy, chapter 2. I got my Bible here. This is my Bible, guys. This is the one. This is the one I've been reading since I was, I got this Bible in high school. And I've got a lot of notes in this Bible. I love my paper Bible. You guys got a paper Bible you love? If you don't have a paper Bible you love, get yourself a paper Bible that you love and write in that thing and wear it out. This thing has breast milk on it. It's got all sorts of stuff. It's been through it. It's been through it. You guys good? You with me? It's men's retreat, guys. I'm going to get loose, okay? (laughs) Second Timothy, page 2188 in my Bible. I don't know what it is in yours, but that's what it is. 2000. Okay, let me set this up for you a little bit. I want to talk to you tonight about what it means to be a faithful man. So if you're taking notes, and I hope you are, Write this down, faithful men, and then beside that I want you to write down soldier, athlete, farmer. Faithful men, soldier, athlete, farmer. Second Timothy, uh, Paul right here is, is writing to a young leader named Timothy, who's leading in the church of Ephesus, and uh, he's, he's writing him letters. These are letters that he writes that are going to be canonized into the Bible that we know today. 
And he's, he's kind of at the end of his, his life, really. He's writing this from a prison cell, a dark, damp place. He's at the end of his life. This is actually the last letters he's writing, he will write. Um, and he knows that this is the end of his life. He knows he doesn't have a lot of time left. It's not too long after this that Paul will be beheaded. And so he is passing on some information to Timothy to, to set this leader up. And he's passing on information to help him understand what it means to be a faithful man and what you're looking for in a faithful man. Because he's, he's a leader in the church and he's trying to say, hey, this is the kind of guy that you're looking for in the church. And so I want to I preach to you about this tonight because as a leader in the church... This is the kind of guy God's called us to be. This is the kind of guy I'm looking for. And so as we, as we read this tonight, I want you to, to ask yourself this question. As we look at this tonight, uh, ask yourself the question, if, if Paul, writing to Timothy, if Timothy was to look at me, would I be qualified to be what Paul says he's looking for in a faithful man? And if not, it's okay. We're going to get there. So I'm going to show you what we're looking for, what God is looking for, what Paul's looking for, what Timothy's looking for, the heart that we should have as a faithful man, all right? He says this, verse number one. You therefore, my son, Paul talking to Timothy, he says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men. Somebody say, faithful men. Faithful men. Say it again like you mean it, faithful men. Faithful men. You guys got to be talking to me tonight, okay? Let's get aggressive. Let's get aggressive, all right? Faithful men who will be able to teach to others also. Verse 3. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier. Somebody say soldier. Soldier. Soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the... I'm going to turn the page here. I've got my Bible, but I'm reading out of my notes here. I'll be honest with you. Because it's hard to read out of my Bible sometimes. Don't get entangled with the affairs of this life. That he may please him... Who enlisted him as a soldier. Notice the goal here. The goal is to please the one who enlisted you as a soldier. It's not to please you. It's not to please uh, others around you. It's to please the one who enlisted you. That's talking about God. It's to please him. Verse 5. An athlete, somebody say athletes, cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. And the hardworking farmers, somebody say farmers, should be the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. Verse 7, think about what I am saying. And that's, this is what I want us to do tonight. I want you to think about these things that Paul is saying. The Lord will help you understand all these things. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Be real with me tonight. No one's looking around. If you're here tonight and you need a breakthrough, you need a breakthrough in your marriage, you need a breakthrough in your walk with God, you need a breakthrough in your health. You need some kind of a breakthrough in your life. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Just lift up your hand where I can see it. All right. You can put it down. Pretty much every hand went up in this room. And so, Lord, we come to you tonight and we say, we need you. <laughs> we confess, God, we, we are lost without you. We're, we are. We're desperate for you. And so we come to you tonight and we ask you to speak to your men through these, through these words tonight. We are, we are men, but we're sons. And so we come humbly to a Father God who loves his sons. And we ask you to speak through your word tonight. We ask you to reveal your heart for us. 
We want you to help us to understand these things like it, like it says here. Help us understand these things. Help us to get these things. Lord, we know this world needs faithful men. Good night, this world needs faithful men, Lord. We know it. And we want to be those faithful men. We want to be faithful men in, in, in this church. We want to be faithful men in our families. These young men, they want to be faithful men in their schools. We want that. In fact, just say that right now. Lord, I want to be a faithful man. We thank you, Lord. You're going to help us tonight to become the men you've called us to be, to begin to take the steps that qualify us to be the kingdom men you've called us to be, Lord. Help us to see what we need to see. Help us to understand what we don't already understand. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. And we thank you for what you're going to do in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. If you're taking notes, here's my first point. If you're going to be a faithful man, number one, you have to depend on your true strength. You have to depend on your true strength. Look back at verse 1. Paul starts his letter like this. He says, be strong. If you're, if you're a note taker, write down, be strong. Be strong. He says, be strong in the grace. Be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Now, that word strong there means to be enabled to be energized. Are you with me tonight? You can talk to me, just so you know. You can say, that's good. Yes, amen, uh, I like it, let's go. Be strong it means to be enabled, to be energized in the grace. Now, you probably know what grace is. It's the unmerited favor of God, right? Grace is, it means you didn't earn it. You, you don't deserve it. You can never get it on your own. You don't get it because you did a really good job. You get it solely because God gives his grace freely. You are saved by grace. That means it's not about what you do, it's about what Jesus done. That's the grace. You're to be strong, you're to be enabled, you're to be energized by the unmerited favor of God. In Christ Jesus. So Jesus made it possible, and you're to draw strength from this grace that you have, that you don't deserve, that you can never earn, that you cannot work hard enough to get, but you're strong in this grace you're energized, you're enabled by this grace that is in Christ Jesus. So, so here, here's what I'm, I'm getting at here. There's an instinctive thing within us as men that tries to muster up the strength for our life in ourselves. How many would, you agree, would agree with that? There's something in us that says, I got to do this in my own strength. I got to do this on my own. And Paul starts off by saying, that's not the best place to start from. <laughs> This isn't about, he's not, he doesn't say be strong in your abilities, be strong in your good looks, be strong in your talents, be strong in your perfection. He doesn't say that. He says be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in knowing that your best effort isn't enough, but Jesus's was. Be strong in that. Be strong. Depend on your true strength. So let me tell you what your true strength is. Your true strength is God is with you. That's your true strength. That's the strength you need to lean in on. That's the strength you need to, to base your life on. Is not that you're good enough. It's not that you can do enough. It's not that you're perfect enough. It's that God is enough. And you lean into Him. You lean not on your own understanding, not on your own ability. You lean in and you trust in the strength that you have that is in Christ Jesus. If you're taking notes, write this down. If God is with you, you have all the strength you need. If God is with you, I'm going to say it again because I don't know that you heard me. If God is with you, you have all the strength you need for any circumstance, for any problem, for any issue, for any, anything. 
If God is with you, is God with you tonight? Then you have all the strength you need. All the strength you need if God is with you. Paul is saying to Timothy, he says, the best thing you got going for you is you got Jesus with you. The best thing you got going for you is God is on your side. So lean into that. Lean into that. Let me, let me try to help you understand this a little bit better, all right? Uh, Pastor Josh Romano is here tonight. How many of you love Pastor Josh Romano? So grateful for Josh Romano. Yeah, you can applaud yourself. That's fine. That's weird, but it's fine. But I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for what you've done. Isn't this awesome? Look at all these men here tonight. I remember the first retreat we ever did when we have like a few guys. God's grown our men's ministry. You've played a huge part in that, man. I'm proud of you. So many of you have been touched by Pastor Josh Romano. Josh Romano has a son named Elijah. You guys know Elijah? You ever met Elijah? Elijah's seven years old. He's a little man of God in the making. Now I want you to imagine a scenario with me for a minute, okay? Elijah has a basketball game. Seven years old. He shows up for his basketball game. He's got his uniform on. He's warming up. He's out there on the court. He's the first one from his team out there on the court. He's out there shooting his layups, working on his jump shot. But, but none of the rest of his team is there. And so he's, he's warming up, and he, he's looking over at the door, and he's kind of waiting to see if some of his teammates are going to come in, but none of his teammates are coming in. But what is coming in is the opposition. And these kids, these other kids from the other team are coming in. They got their uniforms on, and everyone that comes in is bigger than Elijah. They're all seven, just like him, but they're big. And they keep coming in one after another, and they're getting in their layup drills, and they've got a coach, and their coach is coaching them up, and they're doing their layup drills, and they look good. I mean, they're seven, okay? But they look good. Like they're hitting their shots pretty good and they, they look organized and they're, co- they're getting coached up. And Elijah's just over there by himself and he's looking for his team and none of his teammates are coming in the room. And so now it's getting close to, to, the, to the game and the, the horn goes off and the referee comes out and they start lining everybody up and these five boys come out and they're, they're uniforms and they're all bigger than Elijah and they, they start lining up for the, the tip off and it's just Elijah and he's all by himself. And he looks very concerned because it's him versus these other five boys. And all of a sudden, the doors open. And in walks six foot 11, Milwaukee Bucks superstar, Giannis Anatokounmpo. Walks into the room. And he sees little Elijah by himself out there in the court. And he walks out onto the court. And he walks up to Elijah and he says, hey, you need someone to play with you? Elijah looks at Giannis. He says, "Uh uh-huh. And Giannis goes, okay, cool. And he walks over to the ref and he says, hey, I'm with Elijah. And then he goes over and he lines up for the tip-off. And he's six foot 11, guys. So it's Giannis and Elijah versus five other seven-year-old kid basketball players. Now, they're getting ready to tip it off and Elijah calls a timeout. And he walks over to his dad in the stands. He says, Dad, I, I don't know. I'm worried. Did you see how big those guys are? Every one of them is bigger than me. Did you see them warming up? They look really good. They know what they're doing. I, I, don't, I don't feel good about this, Dad. I, I don't want to play. I'm, I'm scared. We're going to lose. I'm scared I'm going to get hurt. I, I, don't, I don't feel good about this, Dad. Now, I can't say for sure, but I know what I would say as a father. I'm going to look at him and I'm going to go, Bro, you're going to be good. You're going to be, you're going to be fine, okay? Because Giannis is on your team. And, and if you'll just lean into that, that strength, 
the strength that you have is far superior than the opposition that's against you. So just you just go out there and you, you just give him the ball and you'll be fine. Now how many of you, and even if you don't know anything about basketball, how many of you think that the guy, a guy that's considered to be the best NBA player right now, six foot 11, almost seven feet tall, Giannis and Elijah can beat five other seven-year-olds at basketball. And let me just remind you, at seven years old, the goal is eight feet high. So the dude can literally go, eh. okay? How many of you think that, that Giannis and Elijah are going to win? Like, it's almost a surefire thing, isn't it? Now, notice I said almost, because there is a way that he could lose. How does he lose? He doesn't give Giannis the ball. He doesn't play with the strength that he has. If he tries to just do it in his own strength and take on those five boys and not work with the strength that he has, he's going to lose. But if he'll work with the strength that he has, the strength that he has is going to make him look good. How many of you know Elijah can sit there and take jump shot after jump shot and miss 15 in a row and Giannis will just keep rebounding it and giving it to him and saying, here, try again, try again, try again. Cause, cause, and, and every time they try to shoot, he's 6'11". He's going to block everything, right? All he has to do is lean into the strength that he has because the one on his side is so much greater. The ally is so much greater than the opposition. I hope this is clicking for you tonight because let me just tell you something. That sounds like a crazy scenario, but I want you to know that's actually not as good as the situation we have in Christ Jesus. It's not near as good. The one who's on your side is so much further greater than the enemy against you. It's not even close. Just so you know, it's not like the devil's really strong and it's like this war's going on between him and God. Like that's not a thing. It's God and it's like Satan and it's the demonic forces and it's like not even close. So if we're going to win, we have to give the ball to the... To the one who's on our side, we have to trust in the strength that we, we have. Romans 8.31 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God's for you, have you made Jesus the Lord of your life? If you made Jesus the Lord of your life, put your hand up. So guess what? God is for you. He loves you. He's for you. So who can stand against you? You may feel weak sometimes versus your opposition. You may feel certain things, but how I many you know your feelings can lie to you? The truth is, and Jesus is the truth, the truth is Jesus is on your side. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And if you'll trust in him and look to him, he'll help you. Paul, talking about this in 2 Corinthians 12, talking about a weakness that he has, said this. He says, my grace, God, God talking to him about this weakness he has. My grace, what is that? That's the unmerited favor. There it is again. My grace is sufficient. For you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Here, here's the truth that Paul is talking to Timothy about, hoping that he will understand. You plus God equals more than enough. If you're taking notes, write that down. You plus God equals more than enough. I don't care what you're facing. I don't care what you're up against. I don't care how bad your situation may, may look. You plus God equals more than enough. So, so Paul starts off here talking to this young leader, 
about what it's going to take to be a faithful man. And he says, hey, you've got to start here. Start by depending on your true strength. Your true strength is not in your ability. It's in God's ability in you. It's in God's ability to be with you and to walk with you. So, so fight off. Here, here's what you've got to fight against. You've got to fight against this stupid, macho crap that we believe that we can just get this done on our own. And that I got to muster this up in my own strength. You got to fight against that, that macho stuff, and you got to lean into and trust and become a dependent child of God that says, God, I need you. God, I'm looking to you. That's what part of worship, what we're doing. When we worship God, is we're saying, God, I lift my hands. I'm saying, lift me up. I need you. I look to you. I trust in you. I can't do this on my own, but I know in you, I can do all things. If God is with you, you have all the strength you need. Look at this, verse 2. Here's the second point if you're taking notes. Paul talking to Timothy, he says that you need to look beyond your lifespan. Look beyond your lifespan. Look at this, 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. And these things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit. That word commit means uh, to deposit, to entrust. It's the idea of uh, I want you to disciple somebody else. You're to be a discipler. Commit these to faithful men. Somebody say faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So Paul introduces this idea of legacy here. He, he's, he's talking to Timothy. He's saying, hey, you've got to have a legacy mindset. And, and he actually, what he shows us here is a, is a four-generation mindset. Four generations he shows us here. Look, look back at it with me. These things that you have heard from me. So Paul's generation one. And he's saying, I, I'm depositing this in you. I'm committing this to you. I'm teaching you these things. I'm discipling you. I'm going to put this stuff in you. Commit these things. So Paul's number one. Timothy's number two. Commit these to faithful men. That's number three. Who will be able to teach others also. He's saying, hey, you need to look beyond just your lifespan. And when you start to look beyond your lifespan, here's what walking with God doesn't look like. All right, I'm going to heaven. Now I'm going to go do my thing. Like, that is not the mindset of a generational leader. I'm just going to go do my thing. I got the heaven thing on lockdown, and so I'm going to just go do my thing, and God, you just bless my thing. That's not the mindset of a faithful man. Like, we're talking about being a faithful man who can be used for the kingdom of God, who can walk in their purpose. That kind of person is not just looking at themselves and their one-generation mindset. They're thinking four steps down the road. They're, they're, they're looking at generations to come. And here's what I love about this, is every one of us in here, this affects you. We are all somewhere in this equation. It, maybe you're young tonight. I, you know, my, my son and some of his friends, my son couldn't be here, he's at basketball tryouts, but some of his friends are here, there's some young people here. You guys are still a part of this. Because even though you're young, there's a generation under you. And you can begin to start pouring into them. And, and many of you are. You're serving in kids' ministry. You're loving on people, the younger generations, pouring into them. Some of you are older in here. And so you may be at the place in your life where there's not a generation above you that can pour into you anymore, but you can pour into your son, you can pour into your daughter, and you can pour into them in such a way that not only does it affect them, but it affects them training their children up in the things of God. See, really, you can touch about three generations yourself, but you teach in such a way 
You train in such a way that a fourth generation gets touched because of the way you did it. So this, this is not just like, you know, just kind of do it your way. This is you got you to be intentional. So here's the way that God put it to me. You got to receive it. You got to be it. And then you're going to pass it to a passer. You got to receive it. So, so who are you receiving it from? Who's pouring into you? Is there a generation above you that you're looking to, men of God above you that you're going to, that can pour into you? So, so listen, for, for some of you older men in here, I need you to step up. I need you to start pouring into some younger men. Some of you in the middle, yeah, all of us, all of us have to step up. Unless you're a baby in this room, and I don't see any babies in here, there's generations below you somewhere that you can be pouring into. So you're, gonna, you're looking to receive it. You're looking to be it, become it. You're being discipled by someone. You're receiving from someone, becoming who God's called you to be. And then you're passing what you're learning on to a generation who's passing it on to another generation. See, my, my dad, he, he's generation number one in our family. He was the first one to, to sell out to Jesus. And he poured into me. He's poured into me my entire life. And now he's pouring not only into me, but he's poured into my son. Now, he doesn't pour into my son like he poured into me. Because that's not his role. But he, what he does is he now comes alongside of me, and he pours into my son, and he backs up what I'm pouring into my son. And so now my son, what he gets is two generations of godly, blunt men pouring into him. You better believe that that's going to touch his son someday. This is what God's called. You see what I'm saying? Like, this is the beautiful thing about the family of God. So often in the church today, it gets worse. Generations get worse. Our sons turn away from God. That should not be the case. That's not how God designed it to be. It should get stronger. It should get better every generation. But it doesn't because we don't step up. Because we just get focused on ourselves. We get focused on our thing. We don't receive it. We don't become it. We don't pass it to a passer. So receive it, be it, pass it to a pa passer. You say, Pastor Josh, this sounds kind of difficult. Yeah, it is difficult. On your own. But you're not on your own, remember? You got, you got like Giannis with you. God is with you. And he's going to help you. And the Holy Spirit, he's given you this helper to walk with you, to teach you, lead you, guide you in all truth. So lean in to your helper, trust God, and let him help you. And I also want you to know something. When, when Paul talks about this, he doesn't say, hey, these things I'm giving you, I want you to, to pass these on to perfect men. Perfect is not the goal. Because, you, listen, you're not going to be perfect this side of heaven. Faithful is the goal. Faithful. And what is faithful? Think about this. When Jesus was talking about what it meant to be faithful, he talks about the, the story of the, the good steward. What does the faithful man do? He takes what he's been given and he multiplies it. This is generational thinking. I'm multiplying. This doesn't end with me. I'm not just storing this for me. I'm passing this on. I'm building something in such a way that it touches other generations. I'm not talking about your bank account. I'm talking about a, a spiritual legacy in Christ Jesus. That gets passed on and that touches generations after you. Someone say, this is good stuff. Look beyond your lifespan. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Faithful to the call of God. Receive it, be it, and pass it to a pastor. And then Paul gives us these three mindsets. 
that will help us in our pursuit of being a faithful man. He says, number one, he says, be set apart like a soldier. Be set apart like a soldier. Verse 3, you therefore must endure hardships. Hardships are going to come, guys. Tough stuff is going to come. People are going to let you down. Circumstances are going to come, come against you. You've got to endure the hardships as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now, when Paul wrote this to the generation, when he talks about being this, this idea of a soldier, this idea of an athlete, this idea of a farmer, this was very significant to the people in the Roman culture of the day. They understood stuff about this we, we may not necessarily understand when we just read it at, you know, where we're at as American men today. Uh, but the people in the Roman culture, they understood what it meant to be a soldier. To be a soldier in Rome, you had to make a 20-year commitment to live a set-apart life. In other words, your life looks different than everybody else's. You, you're set apart. You're not involved in civilian activities. Like some people may do this, but you don't do it because you've been enlisted. You're a soldier, and everything you're doing is about serving this empire, building this empire, fighting for this empire that you're a part of. Now, as, as children of God, as men of God, we've been enlisted. We're a part of an empire, the, the kingdom of God. And so what, what Paul is inviting us to as faithful men, you don't have to do this, but if you want to be a faithful man, you want to be used by God in this generation, and I hope you do, then, then you have to live at a different level than the civilian activities that some of the other people are in, in, involved in. You live a set-apart life. That, that word set-apart is, is this word we get consecrated. Maybe you've heard that before, consecrated. Consecrated is like uh, if you had a, a grand... I had some grandparents that had like the couch with plastic on it in the room. That's, that's, anybody relate to this? I don't know if that's a thing anymore, but when I, it, that was, that's a set-apart couch. We're going to keep the plastic on that couch. You're really not supposed to be on that couch. That's not for you. That's for the, when, when certain guests, and I never saw the plastic come off. I don't know who was the guest of honor that was going to finally get the plastic to come off. Yeah, Jesus himself. I don't know. That's consecrated. It's set apart for a specific purpose. Or like uh, the crystal. You got, we, we have some crystal in our house, some crystal glasses in our house that were my, my great-grandma, Mima's, got passed on to us. And, uh, and, and we pull those out. We, we started pulling those out for our Sabbath dinner on Thursday nights. In fact, this week we were having our Sabbath dinner. And my son Gus had his crystal glass really close to the ledge of the table. And we were like, hey, bud, get that, get that on the table. Like, we don't want that to drop. That's crystal. And he was like, no, it's not. I'm like, yes, it is. He's like, no, this is glass. I'm like, why, why would we lie about this? Like, what would be the point of this? And we're like, do we ever use, like, you never see us use these, except at Thanksgiving and stuff like this. This is, yeah, it's, but it, we don't just pull those out all the time. We don't use those every day. It's for a special occasion. You guys try, when it's set apart, it's for a special purpose. Some of you, maybe, maybe your wife has, like, the guest towels. And they're nice, and you don't get to use them, because they're set apart for somebody else. Not for you. You use that old ragged towel with the stains on it. These guest towels, they get the fluffy ones set apart for a specific purpose. This is the idea of consecrated. These guys, these guys understood something as soldiers, that they were supposed to live a life set apart. They didn't do all the stuff that everybody else was doing. 
They weren't involved in some of the other civilian activities that other people were doing. Verse 4, it says, no one engaged in warfare. Let me remind you, we're in warfare. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Notice it doesn't say we don't wrestle. It says we wrestle. It says we wrestle not against what we think we wrestle. Your wrestling match is not against your spouse. It's not against your teachers, your coaches, that, that person at your job. It's not. It's, there's principalities and powers. That's what you're So we're wrestling. There's a fight. We're told to put on the whole armor of God. Not so we look good and tough. We're put on the armor because there's a battle, because there's an enemy who shoots fiery darts at us, who's, who's seeking whom he may devour. We are in a war. No one engaged in warfare. That's you. Say, that's me. that's me. Entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Remember, the goal is to please him who enlisted you, so you don't get entangled. That word entangled, uh, it, it means to become entwined with, to come wrapped up in something. It's the Greek word um, implico. It's where, it's the same Greek word. It means, uh, it means a person entangled in a thorny vine. It's the same Greek word that's used when it talks about the, Ro the Roman soldiers took these thorns, these vines, and they entangled them together. They implicoed them together and made a crown of thorns and placed it on the head of Jesus Christ at the cross. So the idea is it's this thorny kind of circle. But in this case, it's, it's talking about it's getting wrapped around your legs. So it can trip you up and slow you down and keep you from running the race that you're called to run in the way you're supposed to. Injuring you, hurting you, slowing you down. Now we hear that and immediately our brain goes to sin, doesn't it? But actually in this, in this occasion, now we're going to get to sin in a minute. But in this occasion, that's not what it's talking about. This is talking about the affairs of a soldier. So it's not talking about the, those issues the, uh, of sin here. What it's talking about is this consecrated life, a life of purpose. So Paul here is talking about the stuff. Here's what he's talking about. He's talking about the stuff that others can do. Civilians may be able to do it, but you can't do it because you're a soldier. And you're enlisted. And you're about something greater than what these other people that are involved in civilian activities are about. Like, let me say it like this. It's not that this stuff is sinful and bad. It's that the call on your life is better. You tracking with me? It's not that it's just, it's, it, you may not look at it and go, well, that's just outright a sin. It's just God's called you to something better. So a, a few months ago, I, so I grew up in an interesting generation. I grew up in the 80s and the 90s, and I really do, and maybe everybody feels this way, I don't know, but I really do feel like I, I had one of the greatest, like, epic moments of childhood that existed. The 80s were so rad. And notice I used the word rad. That was intentional. They really were. And one of the things that was so cool in the 80s was it was when, like, all this Nike shoe game stuff was, was happening. The, the, the Jordan 1 that everybody wears now, that came out when I was six years old, and I had it. And I had every Jordan shoe that came out, one through 13, every one of them, in a couple of different colorways on several of them. I loved shoes. I had those. I had like the Pippin of Tempos. I had the, the Air Raid uh, uh, Fab Five Michigan Nikes. Anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about right now? Some of you, a few of you? 
Like I had all these shoes. I loved shoes. I loved the sneaker game stuff. And then I, I got into high school and things kind of changed and I got into, you know, older and kind of stepped away from that. Well, a few years ago, I started kind of looking at shoes again. I, I, I started looking at this stuff. I started seeing some of the stuff going on with like the sneaker stuff and people were buying shoes and selling shoes and making money. And I was kind of thinking, you know what, this could be a hobby of mine. This could be kind of fun. And uh, at the time, it was really interesting. There was this shoe that was getting ready to launch right around the time I was doing this. It was the, uh, the, the Nike Dunk Low Chunky Dunky Ben & Jerry. Anybody know what this shoe is? A few of you, okay? So it was selling on, if you, you, you go into this basically a lottery on, on Nike, and you, you basically try to win the shoe, and if you win it, you can sell it. I bought, so I, I went in. My, this is the first time, some of you are going to be like, that's crazy. It's the first time I ever went in on a shoe like this, and I won it. Okay, so I bought the shoe for 100 bucks. I sold it in seven days and made almost $2,000 on the shoe. I was like, this is cool. And so I took that money, and I was like, I'm just going to keep reinvesting this in shoes. And so I did that, and I, I, I started working this game, and, and some interesting stuff happened. I turned 40. Some people gave me a really nice pair of shoes, um, and, and then I won a Travis Scott low, or the Travis Scott High Mocha. as a $2,000 shoe. Won that shoe. And, and within a few months, guys, no joke, my StockX shoe portfolio was around $10,000 worth of shoes. And I, none of that was my own money. It was all from that first 2000 bucks I made. It was crazy, and it was awesome. And I was like, this is the favor of God. This is amazing. And so I, I thought it was really cool because I was like, I can get these shoes. I can wear these shoes. Like I'll, I won't wear them all the time because I don't want to mess them up, but I'll wear them to like preach and stuff like that. So I started doing that. And then God started messing with me. Because, <laughs> see, here's, here's something I teach our team. When you're up here, the goal is that you don't get in the way. The goal is that people look at you and they don't, they don't remember what you wore. And that can mean a lot of different things. Like for the women, it means they don't remember that your cleavage was showing. Because we don't want to worship men and have to deal with that, Right? It means that you're not wearing something so tight that we're all going, you need to go up a size, dude. Amen? Because that can just be awkward. It, it means that, like, we're not, we don't, here's, here's what I tell our team. People shouldn't walk away going, can you believe what they were wearing? And yet I found myself walking in the lobby and people would come up to me and go, like, literally people would come to me and say, man, I couldn't even, I, I just kept staring at your shoes. And I'd hear that and I'd be like, oh, that's not good. But I, I kept kind of resisting it because I was like, you know, the favor of God's on this. <laughs> and I'm generous with this. Like, there's, guy, there's people in this room. I've given you shoes. But God spoke to me. He said, hey, it's not that it's bad. It's that you're better. And if, and if anything is going to get in the way and entangle you from doing what you're called to do, give it up, man. And so I gave it up. I sold, a, I sold all of it. Now, I still have some nice shoes, but I don't have any $2,000 shoes. I don't, I, I've kind of set the standard. I won't have a shoe over 300 bucks. That's my standard now. And 
I like shoot, guys, I like it. It was hard, but I can't be involved in civil. I'm called to something greater. And what if, here was the thing I couldn't get out of my mind. What if somebody comes to my church and they're a new believer and they're at New Song and they look up and they see me in a pair of $2,000 shoes and they're like, what are they doing with the money in this house? It's not okay. It's not that it's bad. It's that what God's called me to is better. What in your life is not bad. You're better than this. You're better than watching that show. You're better than drinking that drink in a restaurant in public. You're better than this. Because if someone sees it, they might go, oh, I don't know. What if I can listen to them? What, what am I doing that could give somebody else permission that I could do it, but they may not be able to handle it? I'm sorry if I'm stepping on your toes, but that's, it's not that it's bad, it's that you're better. God's called you to be a soldier, you're enlisted to something. And so it's not about what you want, it's about pleasing Him. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to get to heaven and God be like, man, there were people I wanted to reach, but you were wearing those shoes. That's not going to be okay with me. It's not that it's bad, it's that God's called me to something better that we may please him. Our true north is Jesus. What does he want? So we have to have the mindset of a soldier be set apart like a soldier. I'm called to a different standard than the world. The world may do it. Let, let me say it like this. It may be okay for others, but it's not okay for me. It may be okay for others, but it's not okay for me. What is that for you? What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? We'll come back to that at the end. Here's number two. Second mindset that Paul gives us of a faithful man is to stay qualified like an athlete. Stay qualified like an athlete. Verse 5, and athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. <laughs> athletes cannot win the prize. So again, Paul is pointing us to this analogy that people would have understood. They understood in, in Roman culture, like today, athletes were like set-apart dudes. And, you, and athletes like had to compete, and they had to, and the rules were a big deal. So much so that some of the activities and the games that they en were enlisted to participate in, just to make sure they weren't cheating, they had to do those things naked, like running races naked, wrestling naked, which is whoa, <laughs> right? No one of me, I'll run. Let's run. <laughs> Don't want to wrestle another dude naked. Doesn't sound good. Not into that. Athletes cannot win the prize. But he, what is he, he points out this idea, you can't win the prize if you don't follow the rules. Your potential and ability is great. But if you can't follow the rules, don't matter. Like if you're going to, like you could be an incredible basketball player. Seven foot tall, handles, for those of you older, like not love handles, like you can dribble the ball really good. You can jump through the roof. You can shoot 70% from three, which is good, like super good. But if every time you get the ball, you go out of bounds, if every time, like the other team has the ball, you walk up and slap them, guess what? You're not going to be very helpful because you're not going to last in the game very long because you can't follow the rules. If I'm playing soccer and I keep picking up the ball 
and passing it with my hands. I'm going to get disqualified. If I'm playing golf and I hit the ball in the rough and I keep throwing it onto the green, and I do this when I play golf because I have to. <laughs> and if I was playing real golf, I'd get disqualified. But thank God for grace. Amen? The point is this. If you can't follow the rules, like you can't, you can't play. And, and what do we call people who don't follow the rules? We call them a cheater. Aaron Judge just hit 62 home runs. And he's being championed. Why? Because we're looking at this guy, and as of right now, we don't think he's cheating. But there's a couple guys a few years back that have hit more home runs than him, but we look at them and we say it doesn't matter. Why? Because we know that they were cheating. And because they were cheaters, what are they now? They're losers. Right? At, the, at one time, when nobody knew, it looked good. But now, it's all blown up in their face. Because if, if, you, if you cheat, so, so, so here we are now, okay? Now we're talking about the sin stuff. Now we're talking about the stuff in your life that some people can't do it, and neither can you. This is the stuff that's clearly outlined in Scripture. This is wrong. And if you, if you don't deal with it, it'll disqualify you. If you don't aggressively deal with it, it can keep you from being able to accomplish what God's called you to as a faithful man. And, and with that stuff, are you taking belligerent, like hostile, aggressive steps to blow that stuff up in your life before it blows up your life. Okay, so let's get real. If you're looking at porn, you know it's wrong. Like, that's clear. And that's great. And you may know it's wrong, but my question is, what are you doing to, and I'm not talking about the prayer you, that you say in your bed at night where you go, Lord, forgive me, I'm sorry. If I confess your, my sins, I know you're faithful and just to forgive me my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I prayed that prayer a lot in my day. But I didn't get free just praying that prayer. Because I wasn't taking like the steps necessary. Like the step of confessing our sins one to another. Because that's hard. That's going to be hard. I don't want to do that. But if you, don't, if you don't take those steps to blow that up, it will blow up your life. Are you, are you cheating on your spouse? If you are, it's clearly out of bounds. What are you doing to blow that up in your life before it blows up your life? Are you messing around with your girlfriend? If you are, guys, it's wrong. It's sin. It's sin. If you're not married, you're not in the covenant of marriage, any sexual activity outside of the marriage bed is sin. What are you doing to blow that up before it blows up your, your life? What, like, what aggressive steps are you taking? you got to get hostile with this. And listen, I can tell you as a pastor, what Numbers 32-23 says is true. You may be sure that your sin will find you out. And I've been there, guys. I've sat across from dudes broken. Because right a, a, a month ago, they were no one knew. And they were getting away with it. And, and they knew it was wrong, but they just wouldn't blow it up. And, but eventually, it blew up. And now, they're losing their marriage. They're losing their family. People are brokenhearted. I, I've seen it time and time again. 
that their kids are angry at them. They don't trust them because they, they, would, they wouldn't just go, you know what, this is going to hurt, but I'm going to blow this up before it blows up my life. we got to be people who stay qualified like an athlete. If it's out of bounds, deal with it. We'll get back to that here in just a minute. Number three, you need to be a person of the process. The third thing that Paul points out to Timothy is be a person of the process. As we see this here in verse 6, and hardworking farmers. Somebody say farmers. farmers. You guys still with me? Yeah. Farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. And we live in a very hurried world. Like that's obviously, we know that to be true. And we live in a world where we like stuff quick, we like stuff now. And we're kind of used to that. But especially, I want you to think about this, especially related to the idea of like farming. Like, like farming, why do we farm? We farm because we want like, for the most part, we want food. Okay? So think about food related to quick. Most of the time, when you think about food, in relation to quick food, it's not necessarily the best food, is it? Like, when was the last time, Jay, stay out of this, when was the last time that you had, like, a really incre incredible fast food experience? Like, oh, my gosh, dude, the Baconator today was ridiculous. Jay, stay out of this. I'm talking to you. I know. <laughs> That's not, like, quick. Like, man, those bagel bites were ridiculous. Like, no. <laughs> Quick is normally not good. And so this idea of, of, of farming speaks to this idea of process. There's a farming process. Seed, time, harvest. And at every step of the way, there's work. Seed, work. You got to plant. You got you to work the dirt. You got to prepare the dirt. You got to plant the seed, work. Time, you got to keep working in the time. You got to be patient. You, you go dig up your seed, you didn't get anywhere. You got to cultivate the land. You got to pull up the weeds. You got to keep working it. And then the harvest. The harvest, so you can look out there and go, oh, the harvest is here. But you got to go get the harvest. And a lot of times, some of the hardest work is in the harvest. Seed, time, it's a process. But we go through the process. Here, here's the beautiful thing. The, the, the flavor's in the process. I was watching this documentary series. I've been watching it for years. Um, some of you probably heard of it. It's called Chef's Table. Anybody ever seen these before? They're on Netflix. I love these. They're so good. They, they basically, I think it's been going on for like five years. Every year they, they have a whole new season of them. And they take these chefs from around the world who are like masters in their craft of, of cooking. And so like a couple of years ago they had a barbecue one. And I went to one of the restaurants in South Carolina. It was incredible. Um, and they just released one called Chef's Table Pizza. And I was looking at it. I was kind of excited. I looked at it. And the first episode was about Chris Bianco. Now, I have a history with Chris Bianco. About 15, 16 years ago, uh, Sarah and I, this is before we had kids, we were going to go to Phoenix to work a book table for my dad's ministry at this conference. And so we had a couple of days in Phoenix. And so what we like to do when we travel out of town is we like to look up like what to, to do in a city. And, and really what we like to do is look up where to eat in the city. What's the best places to eat. And so we started doing some research and we read about this place called Pizzeria Bianco in Phoenix. And we read several articles that talked about how it was the best pizza in the world. 
in the world. Not like in Phoenix, not in America, in the world. Like Italy, that includes Italy where pizza comes from. And it's, and it's not like, you know, some guy, it's like Oprah and people like that talk, best pizza in the world. So we're like, okay, let's do this. And so we did our research. We had this one night where we were free and uh, we knew we could go and we were just going to, you had to wait forever at this time. But we were like, we're doing it. We're going for it. We, we went over there. We put our name in, waited for like two or three hours before we got to go in and then we got to have these pizza. And the guy, Chris Bianco, he makes every pizza at this time. And so you, you get in there, and, and they bring out these little pizzas. You get these two little pizzas. And I remember eating it at the time and looking at Sarah, and both of us are like, there's a moment, like a food moment. I'm telling you, I, I remember looking at her and going like, I don't know how to explain this to another human being. What is happening right now? This is so crazy Good. This is like, I like have, like I'm like the trumpet of Gabriel is about to us. What is happening? This like super thin pizza that's holding up, like not drooping, like, and the, the flavor, guys, the flavor. Look at the person beside you and say, the flavor. This is so good. Now, fast forward um, to about two years ago, and we were back in Phoenix. We were in Scottsdale, and uh, we had our whole family, and we were like, Kids, we've got to take you over here. This is amazing. And we went, and the line, like, we were able to get right in for lunch and went in and ate, and it was good, but it, it didn't blow me away like it once did. Like, it wasn't like that. I remember kind of being like, oh, that's, that's funny. And what, what I discovered, though, in this documentary was something changed. And here's what changed. The rest of the world changed. <laughs> you see, Everybody started looking at this guy, Chris Bianco, and go, what is he doing? Because up to this point, like, Mazio's and Papa John's were the standard. Like, that was my standard of pizza until I had Pizzeria Bianco. But this guy comes along and does this stuff, and now everybody starts going, oh, there's a different kind of pizza. And people start going out and replicating and trying to work this. So the reason why it didn't blow me away the second time is because I'd had versions of it at other places. You know, we have a place in, in, in Oklahoma City called Halls. You guys ever been to Halls? Halls is in the top 25 pizza places, uh, actually restaurants in America. Like, it's really good. Empire Slice. Like, I've been to New York to the best, they say it's the best New York-style pizza in New York. I've had it. I think Empire Slice is just as good all day. Like, we have really good pizza in Oklahoma City. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? Amen. So, what, so what happened is the game got changed because this guy changed the game. And so at the beginning of this documentary, he makes this statement, and he uses an explicitive. I'm not going to use the word he uses. But he, he makes a statement. This is like the first like, minute of the documentary. He says, people come to me all the time, and they say, what's the secret to great pizza? And he says, it's real simple. You put crap in, you get crap out. Except he uses a different word. And then the whole documentary is about what he puts into it. And guys, he ain't playing around with any one ingredient. Like everything has been thought out to the nth degree. His wheat... He knows the farm that he gets his wheat from. And he gets it whole, and he's the one who prepares it to become the flour. He's the one that turns it into the dough. He has a process, a recipe. He works that process so that it creates that pizza crust that doesn't go limp, but that stays solid. Somebody say, it's good to be, stay solid. 
We got to have one of those every year at Men's Retreat. Nuts and bolts, right? Nuts and bolts. Here we go. The, the, the tomatoes, he knows where the tomatoes come from. He makes his own mozzarella. He learned in New York from a master cheese guy how to make mozzarella. And it's like this beautiful moment in the documentary where he's talking about when he's preparing this cheese and he's trying to learn how to make it from this guy. And then he says, how do I know when it's ready? Like, is it starting to like curdle and all this stuff? He's like, how do I know when it's ready? And the guy looks at him and he says, it'll sing to you when it's ready. I love that. And, and like everything that goes in, the goat cheese. He knows the goats. Like he, he calls the goats by name. The God, I'm telling you. But, but what does all of that lead to? The flavor. The flavor. See, the process leads to the flavor. If you're taking notes, write that down. The process leads to the flavor. And maybe right now, God's got you in a process. Maybe right now, there's some marinating going on. Because there's some flavor that God's working into you. And out of that flavor, people will taste and see that the Lord is good. Maybe there's some, there's some needing that's going on in you right now. And it's going to lead to you being able to build a life that can hold up. That doesn't fall flat, but that can hold up and, and again, present the flavor. Maybe God's got you in a process right now. He's working some stuff into you so that your life, when it's ready, it'll sing. It'll sing of the goodness of God. It'll sing of the grace of God. It'll sing of the work of God. Maybe you're in a process right now. Let me just tell you, if you're wondering if you are, you are. We all are. We're all in a process. Where does God have you in the process tonight? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you tonight in this message? What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? The process leads to the flavor. Where are you in the process? Maybe for you, you're in a place in the process where there's something that's clearly out of bounds that you need to deal with. Something that you know is wrong and you know that you need to not just repent of it privately, but confess it publicly to a brother. I want you to know there's men here this weekend you can talk to. There's men here, and, and I believe God, for some of you, He's going to lead you to someone in a moment to go up to someone and say, hey, Bro, I'm struggling. Maybe that's tonight. Where are you at in the process? Maybe, maybe for you tonight, maybe you're in an area where God's dealing with you about something that it's not, it's not that it's blatantly bad sin. You see, you're better. What is it that God's saying to you? Hey, I've enlisted you, son. And I've got something better. Would you, would you lay that down for me? Would you lay that down so you can take up the mantle I've called you to? You know, I get entangled in this stuff. To get that, thor that thorny vine off of you that's not, it's not killing you, but it's just tripping you up. It's tripping you up. 
Maybe there's, you're in a process, and maybe for you, like, there's someone you need to forgive. There's someone that you need to just, like, they let you down. They weren't there for you like they should have been. Maybe they're not there for you right now like they should be. And, and, and I, I've said this before in talking about forgiveness. Sometimes we're, we're waiting for them to come and say, you know what, I'm sorry. I want you to hear me. What if they never do? What if they never do? Don't, don't hold on to that, waiting for their sorry. Just bring it to the Lord. Where are you at in the process? Maybe there's, you find yourself in, in that place of going, I, I, I haven't been working the generational stuff like I, I know I should. I need some people to pour into me. I need to pour into others. Maybe you're looking for a father figure. Maybe you're looking for a, a man in, of God to, to pour into you. Maybe, maybe you're an older guy in this room and you've kind of, like you're in that place where you kind of have stepped into the stands and you kind of start, like, think that you're in the place of, like, I'm going to cheer on the team. I'm not necessarily in the game, but I'm going to cheer on the team. Like, you're not just called to be a cheerleader. You're called to be a coach now. <laughs> so you may not be playing like you once were, but, but you can be coaching the players. And some of you men, that's, that's what God's calling you to, to. To come and pour into some of these young married dudes and these young guys that are coming up and... Where are you at in the process? Maybe you need to surrender something. Like to just give it over to the Lord. Like you, you're, you've been trying to do this in your own strength. You're trying to hold on to the ball. You're trying, and, and God's saying, hey, pass it to me. Pass me the rock. Give me that burden. Give me that thing. Where are you at in the process? I want to invite the altar ministry team to come down. If we've got some guys in here who would ready to do some praying. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? We're, you know what's great about this atmosphere is we can, we can kind of let some space be made. Like we've got some space here tonight. Space to receive prayer. Space to partner with other dudes in prayer. Maybe tonight you need to confess. I'm struggling. I need help. Maybe tonight you need prayer. Whatever the case is, I want to encourage you, man. We say this all the time at New Song. If it matters to you, it matters to God. And you matter to God. And you don't got to get out of here. We're not in a hurry to get to dodgeball and all this other stuff. That, we're going to get to that. But we let's, like, why not get prayer tonight? Why not? Like, let's go all in, guys. So I want you to stand with me. And if that's you, man, you feel God tugging at your heart for whatever it is, just start making your way up here. And we will take as long as we need to to pray with as many men as we need to. Let's receive what God wants to do. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord God. If, you're, if you're not, you don't feel the need to come down at this time or whatever, I want to encourage you just be praying over these guys. And let's just, let's just go back into this moment of worship here. And let's just allow the Lord to speak to us. 
Thank you, Jesus. We glorify you. In fact, would you lift your hands and me, men? Just start pouring out your praise to the Lord. If you don't know what to say, let me give you something easy to say. Say what the angels say. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is to, and is to come. Holy, holy, holy. Holy are you, God. Holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, who was the Savior, who is the Savior, and will be the Savior to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lamb of God, who is seated on the throne above all the things of this earth, who is seated in that position of victory. Thank you, Lord. You've sat down because you won. You did the work necessary. Thank you, Jesus. Holy are you, Lord. Worthy are you, Lord. Just start, just start writing that love letter in your own words right now. You worship the Lord with your words right now. Tell him how much he means to you. If you don't know what to say, just say, I love you, Lord. I love you. You're good. I'm grateful. I, I've got problems, but you're good. I've got issues, but you're good. I've got things I need breakthrough on, but you're good, and I trust you, Lord, and I love you, and I know you're for me, and you're with me. I worship you. I praise you. I give you glory and honor and praise.